Aloha, this is Pastor Perry, and I want to thank you for joining us online to study the Word of God together. We pray that you will be blessed as the Holy Spirit ministers to you through this message and through God's Word. John 14, 15. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. We clap for worship. Might as well clap for public reading of scripture. That's amazing. Thank you. Uh, today is our eighth and final sermon in our series entitled Promises. It's a sermon series we began when we as a church were facing a time of trouble, a time just after uh, our experience as a church with COVID, after Pastor Perry was involved in his motorcycle accident. And we saw that Jesus and his apostles also faced a time of trouble right before the cross. And Jesus said in that time of trouble to not let our hearts be troubled, but to believe in God and believe also in him. And Jesus went on to share a bunch of promises that he promised to give us to make our joy complete in those times of trouble. And we've been looking at those promises, the promise of peace, security, presence, certainty, purpose, and results. And today we are not going to be looking at another promise, although we're still in John chapter 14, and we're still in our sermon series of promises. We're looking at John 14, 15. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And in staying true, as Pastor Josh pointed out, beginning all my sermons with the letter P, as Pastor Josh so passionately pronounced while positioned at the pulpit in the previous peroration, I try my best, our sermon title today is Prerequisite. So we will discover the prerequisite to having our joy made complete in Jesus. Would you join me in a word of prayer? Jesus, how we thank you that you not only have promised us things in our trouble, but Lord, you yourself have joined with us in our trouble. Lord, that you came to this earth to live a challenging life and to die a, a horrible death. And Lord, you know a thing or two about trouble, and we thank you for joining with us in that. And we thank you that you've given us your word to instruct us on how to live in these times of trouble, how to believe in you. And now, Lord, we come to you, and we ask that we would see what is the prerequisite to living out your joy made complete in us through your word. Lord, would you be with each of us in the room that we may be changed, men and women, who walk out of here. And Lord, for those who are with us online, we ask for your Holy Spirit as well to sit with them. And for those of us who aren't with us today, we ask that you would comfort and encourage and even challenge where needed those uh, who aren't with us. In Jesus' name, amen. It wasn't fair. All of my friends were out at recess playing Red Rover, Red Rover, send Pete right over. But Pete wasn't there because Pete was in detention hall. Again. Lord bless my fourth grade teacher, Mrs. Ridner. If you ever watch this, you were a great teacher. But she took away my moment of fame and glory from recess often. And it was always for the same reason. In fourth grade, little... Pete had some, uh, some expression that he had to, to let out. And so each week I would, 
in her class, I would just drum on my desk time and time again. And that wasn't quite okay. And so she would send me to the detention hall over and over. And so to kind of help quay this growing passion in little Pete's heart, my parents bought a practice pad. Uh, oh, shucks, I got one back there that Jansen brought me, but that's all right, Sean, you can keep it back there. But my parents bought me a practice pad to drum on. And if any of you are drummers and you know about practice pads, you get some sticks and it's this rubber mat and you can hit that thing as loud as you want. And this is what it sounds like. Perfect for Mrs. Redner, perfect for my family. Disgraceful to a drummer like me. <laughs> so it's like, mom and dad, what do I have to do to get a real drum? And they go, well, you have to practice for 30 minutes a day for 30, or for 30 minutes a day for 30 days on your practice pad. Then we'll get you a drum. Easy. Day 31, okay, where's my drum? And so my parents promptly buy me a drum. Joshua, you can put that picture up. This is little Pete with his little drum. I was a fourth grade uh, right then. And I was like, wait a second, you tricky parents. That is a cool snare drum, but the practice pad still fits on top of that. <sighs> what do I have to do to get a real drum? Like, you know, Drum set. I got lots of beats to let out. And my parents were kind of smarter at this. So they go, well, not only do you have to practice, you have to pay for it yourself. <laughs> Look at me. <laughs> well, what do I have to do to make money? And so well, they gave me a bunch of chores. And three months later, little Pete walking in to his house, with parents in, in tow, and we're carrying my new drum set into the far corners of the basement as far away from my family as possible. Well, Lord bless my mom, dad, and sister who listened to Little Pete Expresses Beats day and night for the next four years. I played the drums every day from fourth grade to eighth grade. Enter the summer before freshman year in high school. Band becomes marching band. And for those of you who know about marching band, a drum set does not march too well. <laughs> And so what, what they did with all the lowly freshmen who come in as drummers, they put us on what's kind of a swear word to me. They put us on percussion. Now, if you're a drummer, percussion is not drums, okay? You have to learn the treble clef and the bass clef. And I don't know what the clef that is because I'm trying to figure out notes and annotations. And I just want to hit things really hard. But for two days, I'm learning, you know, F-A-C-E, every boy whatever the acronyms are for those notes. And I try really hard to practice percussion for two days. By day three, I'm out of there. I quit marching band. I don't play drums for about four years because of percussion. But why not? Why would I endure detention time and time again for drumming, but I would run away from percussion? Well, our verse today gives us a hint, John 14, 15. In the NASB, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Something internal, my love for drums, caused something external, me to go crazy no matter what the consequences were for me. And the same was also true in reverse. My internal loathing for percussion led me to an external avoidance of an action. I didn't play drums for four years. Well, I've read this verse, John 14, 15, literally hundreds of times, and I want, it, I want to read it for you one last time in the NPSB, John 14, 15. You love me if you obey my commandments. 
All right. So now, summer school. You're going to take a test. Who knows what changed in the last time I read the verse? Now, I read that verse for you three times already, but the last time I changed something. It was the NPSB. Hmm, wonder what that is. And what was the word change? Anybody see a word that changed in there? The location of if moved to the beginning of the sentence, okay, and there was one more change in the NPSB, which is the new Pete Standard Bible, by the way. Anybody know the last word? It was an actual word change. Obey. The word keep got changed to obey. And when I read this literally hundreds of times, that's what I read. Joshua, if you can put up the two versions, we got the Pete version and the Holy Spirit version. Every time I read this, I read, you love me if you obey my commandments. What the Holy Spirit actually said was, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. And that is a difference. And that's the problem with communication. Sometimes you have to slow down communication because what you hear when your wife says, I have nothing to wear, you hear her say, I have nothing clean. But what she actually was trying to say, I don't have a new dress to match my new earrings. Communication's tough, so we got to slow it down. And so that's what I did with this verse, because you guys were going to be hearing a fire and brimstone obedience sermon. So luckily the Holy Spirit had a different idea, and he helped me see what this verse actually says. So I'm going to invite you into a little bit of my sermon prep study. We're going to study this verse together. We're going to slow it down and go word by word. Um, and one way to do that is by going onto blueletterbible.com and you see all these like really cool Greek words and if you can like figure out how to say them, you sound super smart. So we're just going to look at this verse um, word by word. We'll look at the Greek word and we'll discover what this verse actually says because if this is a prerequisite to having our joy made complete, it's important that we read it right. So first word, if. It's a Greek word, eon. Nothing super special about that, except for the word if denotes something that happens before an event. It's the antecedent, the prerequisite. And we don't know if this event is going to happen. It's all dependent on this prerequisite being met. And so in this sentence, the word if denotes what the prerequisite is. And that's if you love me. If you love me. And that is the prerequisite of our verse. That is the prerequisite to these promises is the word love. And in Greek, it's agapao, or you might know it as agape love, the love of your will, love of your choice to love Jesus. But that word love is sometimes hard to understand in our culture. Today's the day we're celebrating Father's Day. Uh, Mike, my father-in-law is here. Uh, loves his daughter well. Pastor Perry has been a spiritual father to many of us. Um, and, and it's a day that we see what true love is based on a father's love for his children. But in America, one in four kids do not get the privilege of having a father in their home. And that does something to a kid. Behaviorally, it impacts their behavior. There's a four times greater risk of poverty when there isn't a father in the house. Seven times more likely for a teenage pregnancy. Twice as likely for infant mortality. And that's just behavioral 
change that happens without a father. Imagine what happens to a kid's understanding of the word love when a father isn't around. The word love is under attack in our culture. The word love has become synonymous with sex and lust. And we see only one word in the English for love. I love pizza. I love a puppy. I love Jesus Christ. But love is patient and love is kind. You can't be patient or kind with a piece of pizza. You devour it. And so sometimes we have a hard time understanding what this word love is. And so if love is the prerequisite, we better understand what this word agapao is, the love to choose to love Jesus, even if you're not feeling love for Jesus. And when you do love agapao Jesus, then the prerequisite is met, and the subsequent part of this verse will happen. Does that kind of make sense? Following with me? We're going. What happens when you love Jesus? The next word, you will keep his commandments. It's going to happen. If you love Jesus, you will keep his commandments. And it's the Greek word tereo. You will keep tereo. And Jesus, in saying this word, he means something specific by it. The word keep is different than the word obey. Jesus uses this word keep in his prayer to, to the Father. In John 17, 11, you can turn there if you've got your Bibles open. It's in his high priestly prayer, and Jesus uses the same Greek word, tereo, and he says, Holy Father, keep them in your name. Keep the disciples in your name. But let's try to change that word into Pete's version, and let's say obey. Holy Father, obey the disciples in your name. That's heretical, right? The Holy Father does not obey his disciples. So clearly there's a difference between the word keep and obey. So what is it? Jesus could have used the word obey. He chose not to. There's a different Greek word for that. Jesus only uses the word tereo, keep. Obedience is what a prison inmate does for a prison guard. It's the type of obedience that's devoid of love. It's just an external action. It's, it's ninth grade Pete obeying, trying to learn how to do percussion, but it wasn't in my heart, and so I just stepped away from it. Whereas the word keep, the word that Jesus says will happen if you love him, is different. It is a mother hen keeping her chick safe during a rainstorm. Keeping is when a soldier keeps watch so his whole squadron can sleep in peace and safety. Keeping is when two little boys keep their dad's wishes and they clean and clear the dishes after dinner. And my two boys do that almost every night. They do a good job at keeping my commandments. Keeping is something internal, a process initiated in your heart that's lived out through your body. And I passionately pursued drumming to no end because I was keeping it. Which brings us to our first truth of today. So in your sermon outlines, if you grabbed one at one of the doors, you can get up now if you want one or on PDF online. Your first truth today is you do what you love. You do what you love. Another way to say that is you make your habits. You make your habits. So having seen that you will do what you love, are you loving Jesus? That's a good question. Having seen that you will do what you love, are you loving Jesus? Is, if love is the prerequisite, and if you do love Jesus, you will keep his commandments, then we can do a test. 
and we can see how well you're loving Jesus based on how well you're keeping his commandments. Logic seems sound to me, but what commandments is Jesus talking about here? Is he talking about the famous Ten Commandments that we have? Thou shalt not lie, thou shalt not steal, all those. Is he talking about the 613 commandments of the Old Testament? Is he talking about the 49 commands he gives in the Gospel? Is he talking about the greatest commandment? I don't know exactly which one he's talking about. Um, but when you study Scripture, context is key. Context is key. In fact, let's just all say that together. Ready? One, two, three. Context is key when you study Scripture. Context, what's around this passage? We're talking about John 14, 15. That's like right here on the page. But you see all this red? This happens in a really long monologue of Jesus. So it's the same moment. And so in this context of this conversation, Jesus says, if you love me, you will keep my commandment. And he only says one commandment in this entire monologue. And he says that one commandment two times. And so whatever this commandment is, I think it's really important to Jesus. And it's the, the commandment that says, hey, if you love me, you're going to keep this commandment. Cool? We're, we're following that logic train? So we're going to do a test based on that. Okay? If if love is the prerequisite, keeping the commandments is what happens. And if his commandment is said here, let's see what his commandment is. Go to John chapter 13, verse 34. Same monologue. His commandment says this, John 13, 34. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, even as I have loved you, that you love one another. And then John 15 Verse 12, same monologue, different part. Jesus says this, This is my commandment, that you love one another just as I have loved you. Your love for other people, especially for other Christians, is really, really, really important to Jesus. And I would go so far as to say that your love for each other is a really good indicator of your love for Jesus. So how well are you loving others? When your neighbor's car breaks down, do you offer to give them a ride to work? When you see a, a mother and her son on the side of the road asking for food, do you grab some Taco Bell and bring it back and sit with them and, and join with them? Or, or we'll do this. We'll think of that person in your life that has recently hurt you, not in a physical or verbal abusive way, not quite so much, but just that, the broken relationship. That person that when you hear their name or when you see them at Target or you see them at Beach or they walk through that front door, your heart starts speeding up a little bit because there's like this tension that you guys have. There's this brokenness. Do you guys all, are you all thinking about that person right now that you have that broken relationship with? Try to get that one name, that broken relationship, that person that hurt you. When you have that name, we're going to start our test. It's a really fun test. You ready? You're going to fill in the blank of the sentence with the name of the person that you have a broken relationship with. Here's the sentence. Romans 12, 8. If possible, so far as it depends on you, be at peace with blank. The person that's in your head. Have you, as far as it depends on you, entered into that hard conversation with that person that you haven't done so for six months? 
Have you repeatedly claimed your forgiveness for the person who wronged you? Have you genuinely said, I'm sorry for the part that you played in that brokenness, even if it's a really small part? Have you prayed for your unity and reconciliation with that individual? Or have you avoided communication with fill in the blank? Have you avoided that text message? Have you avoided that group? Have you avoided fellowship with fill in your blank? Have you thought or spoken mean words about them? If you have, don't do that. Just repent. Just repent, and if possible, so far as it depends on you, be at peace with blank. And if you're not actively pursuing unity with those broken relationships, that may be an indicator that there is something broken in your relationship with Jesus. Because if you love Jesus, you will keep his commandments. If you love Jesus, you will love others as Jesus loved himself. Pursue unity. So having seen that your love of others is an indicator of your love for Jesus. How do you grow in your love for Jesus? Because as this grows, as your love for him grows, keeping the commandments becomes super simple. So how do you do it? How do you grow? You grow in love with Jesus by doing Jesus things. You grow in love with Jesus by doing Jesus things. But there's, of course, a spectrum. And some of you on the spectrum of doing Jesus things are on the Martha side of the spectrum. And you're running around doing, doing all the Jesus things. You're, you're going to the seventh Bible study in a week. You're listening to the five podcasts a day. You're, you're serving in the sixth ministry and, and joining with four different churches in their outreach. And you don't have time to sit and be in the presence of Jesus and enjoy him. So slow down. Come to Jesus and rest. And just do peaceful Jesus things. Have some margin in your life to enjoy the Lord. But then some of you are on the other side of the spectrum. This is the fun one. And maybe you just need a little kick in the pants to do a little bit more of the Jesus things. Maybe you need to shut off that Netflix show one show earlier and get 45 minutes extra sleep so that you can wake up 45 minutes earlier and actually read your Bible for a chapter in the morning and, and pray for three minutes before you start your day. Or you need to go to bed a little bit earlier so you can meet with Eric's group that meets on Lanai on Thursdays at 5.45 and grow in relationship with other men and grow in your relationship with Jesus. You don't want to be lazy in your faith. Paul instructs Timothy in 1 Timothy 4.7. He says, there's Timothy 4.7. You can put it up. I don't quite have it. Oh, he says, discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. Have some discipline in your life. That's a good thing. But don't have so much discipline that you're like a chicken with your head cut off doing all the Jesus things. Have a balance and enjoy Jesus by doing the Jesus things. And your love for Jesus will grow. Which leads us to our second truth of today and our final truth. You do what you love and you love what you do. You do what you love and you love what you do. You make your habits and your habits make you. Your habits make you. You know, Brian and Julie bless their child with the gift of music. 
And this young boy, Joshua, you can put up his picture. Every, every week, he was eight years old, he started going to piano lessons. And his piano teacher was really interested in growing the love of music in this young lad. And that's what he focused his time on in the music lessons. And this young lad was given the choice to practice whatever kind of music he wanted. He could play something, a new pop song that he heard on the radio. He could choose whatever song he wanted, and that's what he would play. And as he played more and more, his love for music grew so much that it extended beyond piano. And this young pianist at one of his piano recitals, instead of playing piano himself, he wrote a piece of piano music for his tutor to play while he played the saxophone. And this young pianist grew up to love music so much that he has had a career in music for 10 years. And Brandon Bowler, for the last three years, has played at that piano leading all of us in worship because his love for music grew because he played piano so much and he loved it. You do what you love and you love what you do. You make your habits and then your habits make you. This sermon is not a call to do more. That would be legalism and Phariseeism. This sermon is about loving Jesus more so that you can enjoy more of Jesus' love. Would you pray with me? And if you're here and you have never experienced the love of Jesus, but it sure sounds nice and you would like to, would you pray something like this? Would you say, Jesus, I do love you. Thank you for dying on the cross. Please forgive me for my sins. And would you make my joy complete by believing in your promises? And for Christian, if you're hearing something ring true in this sermon, perhaps a, a broken relationship that there's a conversation you need to have or a prayer time that you need to have for that individual, pray something like this. Say, Jesus, would you let me live out my love for you as I love others? Jesus, would you let me do the right amount of things, of Jesus' things. Not too many things that I'm too busy to enjoy you and not enough things so that I forget about you. But Jesus, let me enjoy you by doing Jesus' things. How we love you, God. Amen.